to unemployed actors, to unemployed actors, they're just between projects. Welcome back to Two Unemployed Actors. I'm Max. I'm Sam. And today we have uh, a writer, a very much acclaimed writer. Uh, sometimes I call myself a writer, but no, Chris is a real one. We've got a real writer who's written over 50 hours of television, um, a seasoned Australian writer with experience across many Aussie staples from All Saints, Blue Healers, Neighbours, um, Halifax and more. And also teachers writing, which is fantastic. Chris Corbett, welcome to the show. Hello, how are you? Good, good. I'm I'm halfway through that intro and I'm thinking, geez, that's that's all right. That's quite a breadth. You've written police drama, legal drama, medical drama, murder mystery. Um, is there a favourite? Just write anything in Australia is amazing. But yeah, it's you have to you have to do whatever's available here. When you when I've been to conferences in America. The writers always go, okay, what genre are you? And I go, well, <laughs> I'm anything. And then they just look confused. They go, no, 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 you have to be one thing. Okay, that's not going to work here. Do you have a favourite that you sort of gravitate to or one that you find a bit a bit easier or harder? I've pretty much been a jobbing writer my life, so I sort of go where people invite me. But, look, I've done a lot of crime stuff and I, I enjoy that. So I enjoy the, the, the puzzle aspect of working out how the crime works and how to... How to often keep that from the armchair detectives who are watching it? <laughs> Brilliant. You you were also an actor in the theatre, and uh, do you think do you think that has helped your your writing success? I do, and if I'd been a better actor, I probably wouldn't have had a stat. <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty damn mediocre, I have to say. I think I was. Uh, in my head, I was much better, of course, but I just, I just wasn't quite right. I mean, I realised that the point I realised on stage, I was with a great actor. I was acting with um, Jacek Komen, and I just, I was just spending all my time on the stage going, "Gee, he's he's really good. <laughs> he's fantastic." I wasn't missing my lines in the meantime, and I was standing where I was supposed to stand. But I was just going, "Wow, how does he do that?" I'm just watching him work, <laughs> and it wasn't through. Um, Failure as an actor led me to. I, I simultaneously, right. it was one of those. It was those years where you did everything. So I was, I was working as a dramaturg for the Melbourne Theatre Company. I was doing small plays. I had a, a company with some friends called the Five Dollar Theatre Company, uh, directing, writing, you know, tearing the tickets, uh, operating the coffee bar, yeah, running awesome. backstage to do the lights during all of it. So it was one of those. You just did everything, put yeah, a show on, barn sort of thing. Yeah, Very well, cool. I mean, nothing much has changed until you know, as an up and coming actor, until you've established reputation, you know, certainly you've got to be a slashy, as we say. You've, yeah. you know, voiceovers, um, everything, um, everything, survival jobs. Um, but I love all that, but why wouldn't you do everything? I just love every aspect of showbiz, so I'm I'd still be happy to, you know, if I got involved in theater now, I'd expect to be tearing tickets and yeah. operating lights and doing why not if you can, yeah. Right. And I guess that's that's more life experience, more fuel for your characters. It's just fun too. It's fun to be involved in showbiz and create something. I mean, look, you know, a lot of us spend our time whining and whinging about it, but what else would you want to do? I know, right? Yep. Yep. instead. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Going I had back a, to the tax office? Come uh, on. Yeah. Oh, God. I'm just getting shivers now, actually. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> I'm falling asleep already. Oh, no. <laughs> Sammy's micro-sleeping. <laughs> That's when you know it's, yeah. Not because uh, of Chris. Not because of Chris. Just oh, no. Look, I, exactly I, what you said. I, I make myself <laughs> not off sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you taught you taught a short course through the MEAA on writing specifically for actors. Um, that's that's where I I met you and took lots of furious notes on on writing and even kickstarted me. So I, I know who to blame. Kickstarted me on writing a, a television series, my little passion project. Fantastic. What advice have you got for actors who have been thinking about writing for a while? Because I know I was thinking about it for a lot longer than I've actually spent doing it. Yeah, look, I think I think the first thing is it is one of those things. Look, both acting and writing share something in that if you get it right, you make it look easy, and people just assume that you can anyone just does it. That there's no art or craft involved in it. So, how many times have you been at that barbecue? You know, where somebody's uncle come up and goes, "Oh, you're an actor. You know, what do you have to study for that for? You just you just do it, don't you?" And it's the same with writing and. Actors know that because they know all the invisible work that goes into, um, you know, doing something and still looking natural and performing actions and making it come alive. Um, but it's interesting that some actors, when they go to write, they actually make the same mistake and they just assume, oh, that's just going to be easy. I'll just write down, I'll just sit there and I'll write down the first thing I think of, oh, okay, it's two characters and they're just chatting and they just start typing something in script form and assume that that's going, going to work. Uh, so there has to be some uh, sense of looking into all the, mysteri the mysterious um, sort of principles that make storytelling work. So, again, and that's hard. You know, so many of those the screenwriting books, and I've read just about all of them, and they all have, you know, a, a lot of wisdom in them about how it all works. But reading, reading one of those books almost always makes you feel like writing less. It's a bit like David Mamet said about acting exercises. He said, all acting exercises are designed to make you feel you can't act. And there's something about reading those <laughs> screenplay books too where you read them and you go, oh, you what, to feel what paradigm am I working on? Oh, I'm going to do a six act and then I've got to do, I've got to do this at the same time. Whereas, oh my god! Uh, so I've tried to when I when I sat down and I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna try and actually teach writing. I wanted to do it in as no bullshit a way as possible, yeah. and in an empowering way, so that people didn't get that same feeling of you know a script expert and inverted commas talking at them, and then they feel like they just can't do it. So what what I concentrate on is just building story, really, and that's that's a tough. That's a tough gig to build something out of air, out of nothing, a series of events that makes sense and people are not going to be bored by, that gives them some sort of emotional kick is, well, it's virtually impossible and yet people manage to do it. So I found a way with that equity because I hope. So far, I mean, people are, are feeding back that it, that it seems to be working for them, which is great. Just a, a simple no-bullshit way of saying, what are some of the elements of a story? How can you start to build them? And, again, there's no formulas. There's no templates. There's no recipes. None of that junk works. You know, anyone that tries that junk, you know, good luck. There goes a year of your life. You're going to have something that looks like a screenplay. It's going to be nicely typed. 
but it's not going to have any story to it. So, again, there's there's a mystery to it, but I, I hope in the building blocks of what I was able to pass on to the actors in those courses that um, that people will be able to take that away and teach themselves to write, really. Yeah. That's my hope. And, uh, and I, you know, who knows whether it's going to work or not. I'll know in five years' time when I'm down the shops and someone stops me and says, oh, just just sold something to Netflix and I'd yeah. never written anything before. So all, all those ways you've just said, like, so those are the ways that you've overcome in, I assume, your history of, of writing so many different things. You use those ways kind of laying it out and bit by bit going through. That's how you overcome it? Well, exactly. But again, I was in, because I'm a jobbing writer, I was always just thrown into the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thrown into the fire. So... I, I used to, when I first started writing, I wrote I wrote plays. And again, I would be the writer-play over a year and a half sort of guy. And I'll sit down today and I might move that comma. Maybe I'll move that comma or whatever. And then when I when I managed to get a job, talk my way into a, a job on Blue Healers, mm. uh, that was like, you know, as soon as I walked in the door, they basically said, oh, right, we're throwing out episode 327, uh, but we're shooting it next week. Um, how'd you like to write, how'd you like to completely replot that and write half an episode? I said, oh, that, that'd be great. Um, <laughs> when, when do you want that bike? Wow. Two days. What's yeah, the time? Failed miserably, you know. Of course, Unbelievable. But, you know, I started writing like a play, so I'd just get them in one room and I had big speeches and, oh, and yeah. they just they just shook their head. If they could have fired me, they would have fired me. They fired a lot of other people. Certainly but the I, deep I was, on one of, I was on one of those film Victoria, you've got to right. have him for three months sort of deals. And by the time three months had gone by, no problem. If episode 354 fell apart, yeah, I could sit down and write, replot and write a new one in three days. It's amazing. So again, was, I've never was... had the luxury of actually sitting down to teach. And that's what, again, I'm at the moment I'm teaching um, teenagers this stuff. And, and they're, they're really getting into it, but I am sort of saying I wish someone had done this for me. I had to bumble around, uh, trial and error. Right. I was well and truly, and it took me like 10 years to learn how to tell a story. So I was well and truly in my 30s by the time I was going, oh, okay, yeah, now, now I get it. Uh, so hopefully, uh, and I said to the teenagers the other day and they just looked confused at me, I said, look, it took me 10 years to learn it right, and they're just going, yeah, what, what's he going on about now? And then I said, <laughs> I reckon if you use this stuff, I can shave six or seven years off that. And then yep. they just—they don't understand that sort oh of thing. They're, they're going to think one semester at a time, perhaps. I know. What's he <laughs> talking about? What's he? Talking yeah, about? <laughs> he must be really slow. <laughs> well, we'll see. Well, the time will tell. Well, I, I think because Blue Healers was absolutely massive, like. Oh. It's like an Australian religion. I mean, you know, I like to imagine that there was just so much process and so much behind the scenes, you know, the enormous uh, machine full of resources, but it sounds like it was a little bit of, you know, on the edge of the seat. Oh, it was. Well, just because, I mean, the the main reason was brilliant, all brilliant people, all fantastic, but it was um, we had to make 42 episodes a year, which is just incomprehensible. Uh, and then, and not only that, but, you know, Channel 7 wouldn't pay you for 10 weeks. They wouldn't pay you for 52 weeks a year. they pay you for 42. So your contract would finish and then you'd have like two, two or three months of unpaid and then you'd come back and you'd, they always said to Channel 7, oh, we've got a 
we've got to work out what the stories are for these 42. Could we come back, you know, maybe a couple of weeks early? No, that's too expensive. Oh, my God. We go, well, when are we going to work out what the stories are for the year? Just you can come back, um, come back on the Tuesday, come back two days before. Unbelievable. <laughs> that was it. So we'd just have to get like a whiteboard and go and oh do it all. God. So it was amazing that we got through it. There was a, a really tight, brilliant script team and the producers were brilliant. And they really just, they understood um, that the writers needed to be left alone. Well, I remember you told a story about, um, about a, 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 because there's a police officer attached Mm. to the production company, to the network that some advisors, and then one subbed in one day. And I... (laughs) Tell that story because that's... Oh, yes. So I, I did have one where we, we we concocted this fantastic episode where we brought in a new cop for about two episodes and it looks like they were going to be the new cop and then we killed them. And it was this fantastic episode where we, we'd sort of... It was really well done where, uh, where it was built in about five parts and we followed each person's point of view as the phone rang and they realised that, that their new cop uh, comrade had been shot. And it was beautifully plotted and all of the things just sort of meshed together. And, and the, new, the new cop that arrived yeah, just came, turned up on my door and just looked really worried and said, um, look, oh, well, I've got a bit of a problem with this script. And I said, oh, great, you know, sit down, tell me, tell me what problems are. I'm going to sort them out. And I've got my pen out in my pad. And she said, oh, no, no this wouldn't happen. If this, if this sort of murder happened, uh, uh, that's not what we do. And I said, oh, okay, great. Well, what would you do? And she said, oh, we would just put tape around it and wait for homicide to drive up from Melbourne. <laughs> so I'd say, uh, can you understand how that might not be a fascinating 42 minutes of television? <laughs> great, 42 minutes of standing in front of the tape and with the wind blowing. But normally we had cops who would just go, yeah, we'll do it. Yeah. You know, and, but it was always accurate. The radio talk was accurate. Everything was accurate. Yeah. But... They understood that it was a story. <laughs> it's a story, yeah. first and foremost. That's those. Well, it's interesting too because you mentioned like budget-wise and the networks, you know, being very, very tight on scripted. And I think at the time of Blue Healers, you know, you've got all these reality shows booming, which are so cheap to to produce. Well, they certainly now there's a few behemoths that are massive, but at the time, you know, really cheap for the networks versus scripted. Oh, yeah, I remember, well, in fact, it was, yeah, something like about 2007, I remember, I didn't work for about a year and a half because I think the first of the reality shows came out and the networks just went, fantastic. We can get rid of all those pesky writers and pesky actors. <laughs> With all their questions. That, and... Who they hate, you know, because yeah. you know, they've got airs and graces about what they're doing, you're trying to make art. And they basically just, and so there was nothing around for a while, and then they realised that a good reality show is absolutely as hard to make. So they just thought they'd be cranking them out everywhere. I remember a, a network executive talking about, remember the show Celebrity Splash, which was about, <laughs> it was just about celebrities in their togs and they had to dive off a diving board. And I remember a network executive who should have known better and was in charge of drama stuff going, my did for the year, best show of the year, Celebrity Slash. So oh Splash, God. sorry. Celebrity Slash is a whole other show. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one they should have made. Oh dear, God. <laughs> dear God, they probably will one day. Fantastic, unbelievable. But that, that, yeah, I mean, that dynamic was like global, and then all of a sudden, these, the, the, you know, you've got these reality franchises, and as an actor, you're sort of dying inside slowly. Oh, God knows what it feels like as a writer. But it's so hard. I love reality shows too, but they're so hard. It's so hard to get a good one. Yeah. So I think they realise. Yeah. 
yep. you're going to have to pay some of those pesky writers and actors <laughs> a little bit longer. Well, I've got a question on pitching, mainly because in a few weeks' time, I'm hoping to be pitch ready. Uh, I've I've heard that you need to have like a publish, a, a polished pilot episode, but to walk into the room, um, or do you need to have more episodes finished, or is it just an outline of the main? I characters? don't know. I'm just I'm just working on anecdotal evidence here. I've pitching doesn't really happen that much in Australia, as far as I know. I've never I've certainly created TV shows, but none of the networks have been in the least bit interested in even reading them or answering the email. Um, the, the same, the sad thing about Australian television is the same 10 or 12 people make everything. Mm. So you do, if you do your, if you do your study, and I did it on a board with a class one day, I said I wrote down the 40 Australian shows I could think of. And then I just went, okay, who, who made this? Who made this? Who made this? And it was like, oh, it's the same six companies and the same sort of 10 people. So my advice to you is when you pitch, first of all, yeah. Go to those six, go to those ten people. Yeah, because otherwise they're not going to even answer your call. But in terms of pitching, look, I don't, I really don't know. I, I always, when I do some, first of all, the first advice is don't write a thirty-page document. You know, yeah, most people assessing them can barely read, and they they don't like reading, and they work really hard, and it's probably ten o'clock at night, and they've ignored their kids when they sit down <laughs> to read this part, and they don't care about the two-page description of each character and whether they're an Aquarius or whether they played <laughs> tennis when they were a kid and then the breakdowns of all of the episodes. So oh a snappy three or four-page thing that just... Yep. And they, they've decided by the time they've read the first two or three sentences. I would actually yep. concentrate on, you know, that first two or three sentences. Yeah. It says, here's what the show is. And they go, oh, okay, I get that. Um but I do think you're going. You're going to have to have. Um, you're going to have to have a polished script there. But I also think. Look, and again, not to be negative about it, and good luck when you go in there. But they're extremely unlikely to buy a TV show from someone that hasn't made a TV show. And that sounds unfair. Whenever I say that to people, they go, "Oh, that's not fair." And I go, "Well, it's not a lottery. It's not like you know. If you rang up Kellogg's and said you had a great idea for a breakfast cereal." They're not going to say that sounds fantastic. Come in. <laughs> you ring up a footy club. They're not going to say, "Well, I know it seems like you haven't played footy before. Why don't you come down and and strap the boots on and we'll put you in against Collingwood next week?" So, the trick is uh, often when people who haven't made a TV show yet, the trick is to try to gravitate towards. You know, if you were to go and ask, um, not me, not counting for work. But if you were if you were gonna go, just pick some really experienced writers and go, yeah. okay, I've created this TV show and I've got these two or three writers who are gonna write most of the series. I'll write an episode or two, you will write an episode or two. Um, and then the network, because they're business people, yeah, and risk averse, they might then go, Oh, we might not blow our millions of dollars then. Because again, if you were a business person, or if I had if I had money, which I don't and I had $5 million to build a house, uh, I'm not going to go to someone that hasn't built a house before. Exactly. So my, my first advice with pitching is just try and build a package. Mm -hmm. uh, and so too with, you know, if you happen, if your cousin is Claudia Carvan and you go, oh, I've given it to Claudia and she's interested in being in it and I've got these three experienced people and I'm on board as well with my brilliant idea, which I'm sure it will be, Matt. Um, then that's that's got a good chance of success, I would think. 
Well, I, I remember, I remember at uh, one of the afters TV talks segments, and they had some producers on from scripted divisions. I think head of ABC Comedy was one who said, "You know, if someone makes it into my office and they do have a, an idea that I think has got legs, the first thing I'll do is put them with an experienced production exactly. company because exactly because yeah. of all the reasons you outlined. Yeah, yeah. That's why the smart money, and in fact, if you want to, if you really want to pursue it, is you yep. do your research and you work out who the six or seven production, production companies, companies that make yeah, exactly. yeah. and and go after them now the yeah. problem is they've got whole departments coming up with ideas so you're competing with them uh, but at the same time they're not gonna no one's gonna say no if it really is a great idea no one's gonna say no and it, and i won't say it never happened something like the show bump i think was someone that which is a brilliant show yeah had, that person had never written anything i don't think they somehow got on and normally what happens is the receptionist stops you so you know the receptionist goes well okay i'm not going to let the person that hasn't written anything in speak to them or i'll look bad so bang gatekeepers everywhere but somehow um this woman got through and john edwards and claudia carvan said this is a great idea and it is and it's a brilliant show so it can happen uh and hopefully in the future it'll happen more in the past it's been very much you know um small little cliques of people um, protecting their territory. Um, but hopefully it'll open up. In a few. And the, ideally, you just have to, now this sounds stupid, I'm not being facetious, is that you just have to make something that's so brilliant that anyone that reads it goes, oh my God, we've got to make yeah. this. Yeah. And then not let them fuck with it, basically. That's, it. That, that's, that's the other, yeah, the relationship between creative oh. producer and business producer and how it's easy to lose your voice in the machine that is, you know, tried and true, tested. Well, systemically what happens here is the writers have no power. Well, it's getting better. It's slowly getting better, but historically writers had no power at all. So, you know, so you're often, I, in my, and I'm talking about the past here, I hope it's different, but I'm often, I've often had a, a producer who can't write over my shoulder telling me, write this down. And I'm going, that makes no sense. Oh. If you do that, we know who the murderer is on Patreon. Write it down. Oh my God. You know? Whereas in America and Britain, the writers are more or less in charge. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so whereas here in Australia, the, uh, the writer until now, and it is changing, I think, has been uh, maybe a notch above caterer in terms of actual clout and power. Oh, no. Oh, it's, that's, that's you know, harsh, I mean, the, the example I give, and they just, they can mediocreize any idea. <laughs> the example I give is if they bought Breaking Bad, they would have said, that's great, you know, yeah, yeah, we'll buy that. And then about three weeks before it was shot, they'd say, oh, look, I don't think people are going to like this guy if he sells drugs. I think we're going to have to change that. What if it was something that didn't help? What if it was a counterfeiter? So just, just a little change, make it a counterfeiter. And then they would also say, look, we're not sure anyone's going to want to watch a 50-year-old man, really. 50-year-old white man, who's going to want to watch that? Could it be, could it be a sexy 35-year-old woman of a diverse ethnicity? And we love the handicapped son, though. We want more of the handicapped son. If we could have half the episodes about the handicapped son and half of the episodes about the sexy 35-year-old ethnically diverse um, counterfeiter, then that's a show. 
but it's not that different from what you've got. So if you could just tweak those scripts. <laughs> not that different. <laughs> just some subtle changes. That's, subtle that's changes, what yeah. would have happened. <laughs> from the experts. <laughs> oh People would go, why is this show terrible? Oh, my God. Well, going back a bit to, to what you were talking about um, before where you'd be shoved in a room to to write multiple episodes for a week, if not days, um, where where do you come up with your ideas? Like how do you well, just... In that case, there's a gun to your head, so it, it is yeah. adrenaline largely. But at the same time, there needs to be... Often that only happens um, when there is like an in-house writing crew who knows... Who knows those characters and knows those situations, and most importantly, as well, knows what sets there are, knows how the locations work, can talk yeah, to yeah. it. So it's only possible if to write that fast and to have it actually work. And they often, they often did. Often those episodes written by the in-house crew, mm-hmm. um, you know. And look, probably the original script was probably fine. It was usually just a producer, and this happens all the time, just a producer or a network changing their mind about something at the very last minute. You know, they'll just go, I know we said this episode was a bank robbery, but couldn't it be a kidnapping? And they say that, you know, a week before pre, as if that's like an easy, as if that's just you cross out a few words (laughs) and change it. And because, sadly, because those Australian in-house writing crews are so bloody good, they are able to do it. And then once they do it, um, the producers just go, well, we can, they can write anything quickly, but wouldn't it be better if we spent, you know, months working on the story? Yeah. How, <laughs> how, how do you test these story ideas? Like, is there, a, is there a, a tried and true way you sort of throw the ideas out there to see if they land? Um, it's, it's tricky. In that television context, it's largely just to do with the collected wisdom of that group. So once you get, so if I think back to healers or whatever, there would be just seven or eight ridiculously smart people sitting around that table with the whiteboards and not only ridiculously smart, but they know that show and they know what we're, and the other thing is because the way that show was working and we're all in there for years and it was 42 episodes a year, you had a chance to test stuff. So Right. That was the beauty. I was thrown in there. Once I got good and I had to quickly, you know, you would be typing the scene and you'd write it and you'd go, oh, I think this works. And then the actors would be doing it like three weeks later and then, or you'd be sitting at the read-through and you'd get to hear them and you'd go, that's not quite right. And then, and, and in fact, somebody like John Wood would come up to you who's also a writer and he'd say, oh, I think I'd like to change this to that. And you'd go, yeah, that's better. Thank you. And then you get to see it shot and then you go, oh, that didn't work. What, what did I do wrong there? I must have, ah, now if I do it this way and I gave you that information a bit earlier, the audience would have an emotional response. So you actually, it was a, it was a real training ground, which was a privilege to have that training ground and for that training ground to be at the time, you know, one of the best rating shows ever. Yeah. Uh, and to have millions of people watching it was such a privilege that I just accidentally fell backwards into. Uh, and it was a delight. So that's what's so hard. And, and it's the same with, say, theatre. When I was working in theatre, you know, I, you know, you would write your play and then I would just sit in the audience for the 20 performances of it and just, you know, with my notepad and listen to, like, the audience breathing 
and watching when they'd shuffle and watching when they'd lean forward. And then you go, why? And, and I'd often just sort of write something down in the dark and then go home and go, oh, it's because they've got this bit of information in the wrong order or that bit goes on too long or whatever. So it's important to have that feedback loop. I mean, and that's where like live comedians, you know, they have to work even when they're, they're writing their stuff, they're writing it with an understanding of hundreds of audiences they've stood in front of. Um, and so too with, um, you know, things like the Blue Healers, we would, we would watch each episode when it was finished, a cut of it, or you'd sit in with the editors and you would, you'd, you'd just go, oh, I know what's, I didn't realise at the time, but now I can see what's wrong with it. And then hopefully we all got better, you know, as it went along. That's exciting that, that to have, I never thought of it that way, that you've got, you know, 42 opportunities to really test yeah. and, and try and develop different and new and, and exciting yeah. themes and ideas. And all those, those stories were, you know, often really, of course there were some not great ones. Of, of those 42 a year, there was, but, but at least half of them were bloody amazingly yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, a quarter of them were really good. And then there was maybe a quarter of them that, that misfired because we were just making them so quickly. So in terms of, you know, and you tell this to American writers and they just shudder because it's like we would plot them in one day. Hmm. Bang, that's it. And they'd go, you know, Americans, Breaking Bad, et cetera, et cetera. They'd just sit in that room until they broke the story. And that was often all of the writers for six or seven working days um, before they'd crack each hour-long episode. We had like, you know, one day the writer would fly in, maybe from Sydney, we'd all sit with them. And then as soon as they'd leave at five o'clock for their plane, we'd stay there and work a bit more on all the other episodes we were doing. So it shouldn't have, again, shouldn't have been possible. I went to a podcasting conference a couple of weeks ago in LA and there was a section, a, a panel discussion on adapting um, podcasts to television series and film, which is really interesting. In fact, UTA, WME and, and all those huge CAA, the big monoliths, um, have divisions for podcasting now. And someone who he was writing, I forgot his name, did a few of the MCU, the Marvel franchise, the big one, said uh, something I'd never heard before that, you know, they talk about writing a four-quadrant story. And I've gone, well, because we're talking about, you know, less risk and, you know, doing the same thing over and over there. Four quadrants when it appeals to the to the teens, to the pre, you know, to pre-teens, to the young adults and to the mature adult and, you know, popcorn movie. Um, and if, if it's with that mindset that they look at, well, if it works as a podcast, then let's just... You know, it's got more chance of working as a television series. There's an audience already there. Oh, absolutely. And the idea of dramatic podcasts. I noticed, yeah, there was mm. something advertised recently with John Hamm where he was playing like a police negotiator in a hostage sort of situation, I think. so. And uh, also the Austin Film Festival has a competition. I don't know if you've got a dramatic podcast as well. You, you should, the two of you. I know, I know right? <laughs> you should put that for competition, you know. Two yeah, because who solve crimes to... as well. They solve murder mysteries yeah. while they're doing their podcast. It'll In between write, drinks. Write itself. We'll just enter this episode with you, Chris. It's a pretty yeah. dramatic one, I reckon. <laughs> I think it's, it's like going back to the days of the radio plays, though. It's really exciting Absolutely. as a genre because yeah. it feels so intimate because it's just you and you're listening yeah. to all of it happening. Oh, to hear it, good, right? Because I think they, they've sort of stomped radio plays here, unfortunately. 
Um, but radio plays are a fantastic, if you can get that right. You know, I remember listening to radio plays where it was just like footsteps and then it was a door and you didn't know what was going on for it, but you had to lean forward and try and immerse yourself in the sound. But yeah, the podcast thing I think is is something that's a bit the future. We being Australians, we'll wait for someone else to work on that and then we'll just, <laughs> we'll copy their podcasts when they're... <laughs> Brilliant. In, in 15 well, years' time, people have <laughs> yeah, done everything else. Chris Corbett, thank you very much for your time. We really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been a fantastic chat. Good on you guys. Thanks, Chris. To unemployed actors.